<laughs> What's going on, people? Welcome back to the Uncensored Critic Podcast. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, someone in a slightly different topic today. Obviously, the podcast is all about actors, creatives, things like that, but I think this is a lovely side note into the industry about what helps to capture us as performers, quite literally, what goes on our spotlight page, what goes out to the world, and what fills up those lovely Vogue magazines, etc., or whatever you should choose to read. That's all I'll say about that. So, so today I'm joined by someone who has actually shot me before, and this Hannah Cousins, Hannah Cousins of St Albans and Central London. Just a little bit of background about herself. So Hannah is a multi-award winning professional portrait photographer that's based in St Albans and Central London. Hannah is not just any kind of street photographer, it's from her website. <laughs> Hannah is a professional portrait photographer with a passion and obsession for light. Uh, Hannah is a European ambassador for Sony Imaging, the first female from the UK, and is a speaker and educator for premium global light brand Profoto. She made her entrance into the photography world by entering the record books with the British Institute of Professional Photography, being one of the youngest members ever to qualify within the history of the institution, being a tender old age of 19. Having gained experience with the photography industry, uh, not just in the UK, Hannah felt it was time to bring her new style to the high street by opening up her first portrait studio in Cuffley only at the tender old age of 22. In October 2009, she decided to open up a second studio in St Albans, which she ran for 10 years. Her love for teaching and speaking now takes her around the world on a regular basis, which is why she's, she no longer has the, her own studio in St Albans, but she now works between London and here. And she, you'll be able to find her in a beautiful listed building in the heart of St Albans on St Peter's High Street. She is known for her friendly personality, her professional nature and her work has has brought many high profile clients such as Manchester City's Nicholas Otamendi and former footballer now turned actor Vinnie Jones. And her entrepreneurial nature always ensures all her clients will be offered the latest products and technology and receive the best service and will constantly strive to be at the head of, at the top of her game. She has a passion for people, portraits and perfection topped off with great customer service. This is a really lovely bio you've written, Hannah, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> Then uh, just, just to finish, some of her awards include Young Business Person of the Year, both for 2010 and 2012. She took home the overall county winner for Best Small Business in Hertfordshire in 2010 and was runner-up for Best St Albans Business in 2012. 2019 also saw Hannah in the finals for the National Business Awards held at Wembley Stadium. And in, to finish off this bio, to, in Hannah's own words, she says, I hope that you will come as strangers and leave as friends and that's certainly something that I did when I went to see her a few years ago so yeah so enough of me talking Hannah good afternoon how are you today good afternoon thank you for having me I always get so embarrassed when someone reads your bio I don't know why it's just sort of I mean of course it's it's on there to sort of list everything that you've done and your achievements but still it still makes me cringe a little <laughs> when someone reads it out it feels quite embarrassing powers. Yeah, oh no, I am, I am totally, but it's just quite, I don't know, I'm really bad at compliments and things anyway, so I'm sort of, um, I just end up kind of wanting to hide under the desk, but no, that's good, it's, it's fun, it's been a long old, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, um, as you can tell by some of the dates that were listed in there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, it's great, I'm very fortunate, I'm in a creative industry and fortunate to be able to, you know, do what I love, which not all of us can, or all of us Probably your audience can identify with the fact that um, it's a struggle. It's not the easiest thing to do being in a creative industry. Yes, um, so I feel very fortunate that I'm I'm still able to do this all these years later. That's good. I, I just I remember sort of practicing reading that bio just before we came on today. So I've had to 
a chance to read that through a few times and speak it, just make it sound as clear as possible. So hopefully I wasn't just rambling, going, blah, 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 making all kinds of noise there. But no, but it's it's fascinating. Actually, for anyone who's listening or watching today, if you actually go on Hannah's website, which I'll put in the description below, uh, you'll find a picture of her, a, a picture of 20-year-old Hannah Pitchside in Auck in Auckland or Wellington. It was probably Wellington. That was Wellington, yeah. Uh, Wellington, New Zealand, photographing the All Blacks as a freelance photographer. So, you know, you were going places at such an early age. It's incredible career that you've had yeah I was quite fortunate I think um yeah I heard somebody else say that you will always be successful in what you do if you know what you want to do from an early age that said though I know lots of people that are in their 40s that are still figuring it out and only just recognizing their talents so um yes yes and no to that statement I was lucky that I was able to um identify quite quickly what it was that I wanted to do um so it just meant that I could get started a little bit earlier, really. And um, I, you know, it's funny when people say to me, oh, so what would you do if, you know, kind of those typical interview questions of what would you be doing if you weren't a photographer? I literally have no idea because that's been my life since I, you know, since I was in my teens. So since I left college, that's, that's it. That's all I know how to do. I would be rubbish at anything else because, <laughs> yeah, I just don't know how to do it. I mean, granted, by running businesses and having staff and premises and things that I've done throughout my business, I've probably picked up other skills. But, you know, if you sort of said to me, what is it that you would be doing? If not, it's not like I have a burning desire to go and do something else or be something else or have those skills to do it. Um, but yeah, I was I was fortunate. I was I was extremely fortunate because I think when you know what you want to do, um, or you've got a strong indication anyway, it, it allows you to get stuck in quite quickly. Um, and therefore, I feel like when you're really intensely involved in something, you can pick up the pace a lot quicker. Whereas if you're sort of, do I want to do this? Do I not? You're kind of like toying with it. Sometimes it's harder to get stuck in and on the roll faster. I th I feel. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to hear that. Um, so I suppose really, um, no, I, I relate to you entirely. I mean, I'm, I, if I may say something about myself right now is that I was very lucky that in school that, you know, I didn't really have any, any interest in science or anything kind of interest in maths or anything like that. I just, just and people used to like excel in the classroom and I just, I'd be thinking, what is this place? But then luckily you, I go and do drama and say, okay, this is where I belong. This is, this is somewhere where, I, this is the only subject which I really loved. And, you know, I was quite lucky about 15 16 I thought this is okay this is what I want to do now and you know I've been very lucky that you know it's it's nice to have the wheel set in motion early because then you can from such a young age then you can propel yourself forward and say okay so okay we can do this or you can do this okay how do we get there how do we do this how do we do that and it's it's really interesting to hear you know yeah well I think I think I speak of for both of us I feel very blessed to have been able to have known that early just exactly what we wanted to do which is really nice um so yeah today I was I suppose ready to sort of touch on your your journey into it obviously as, as we just talked about you knew from an early age um what was the spark how did it all start for you was it just did you get a camera for Christmas and then you just thought oh this looks nice and just carried on what's what was the inspiration the moment that made you want to be a photographer it's a weird one because I'll try and give you the short version but um it's it wasn't as sort of clear-cut as that as such like I was always um into more of the creative things at school. I, I sort of too hated sort of, you know, the whole sort of structure of school. It, it just didn't suit me. I feel like, I, I mean, I didn't do badly at school. I probably could have done really well if I'd actually tried, if I'm being honest. Um, but yeah. I just, I just didn't, I hated it. I just wasn't into all of those things. 
but my parents were incredibly supportive in the sense that um you know my brother is very academic and he was into physics chemistry science all of that and you know math that I just wasn't I, I just I had no interest in it whatsoever um but my parents recognized that they saw I was more creative so I was doing I was you know good at languages I was good at creativity I was good at craft and design I was good at textiles I was good at um art, uh, you know more artistic stuff and they never tried to push me in the other direction I think it comes back to one of my favorite quotes it's an Einstein quote is that if you ask a fish to climb a tree, it's going to think it's stupid. And it's so true. I think if you couldn't sort of figure out what it is. So I had no no pressure. Um, I feel very, very lucky to not have had the pressure for my parents to try and push me down a particular path. They saw what it was that I was you know, into and perhaps where I was strongest. Um, so, yeah, it was a real weird one. I was really into art at school, but... I really, at <laughs> that, that stage, I still, I can't really paint or draw, <laughs> which is kind of crucial for art in some respects. But my thing that I really loved and that I seemed to have something with was sculpture and creating and literally with my hands. Um, but yet it never really looked like I was going to have any, there wasn't any promising career prospects of being or getting into sculpture. That, that just seems like really difficult. Um, so what happened is a friend of mine who was a bit older, um, you know, we, we used to ride horses and we'd sort of spend the, the weekends together up at the farm and whatnot. And her dad had an old SLR camera and uh, she put a roll of film in it one day and we were messing about with it. And she sort of taught me the basic bits of what her dad had taught her. Um, and we were just taking pictures of anything we could find. Yeah. But then when she developed the film and she brought the photos back, I realised that you know by the use of aperture and dropping things out of focus and things like that I was like wow this is a way that I can create what's in my mind without having to do it with a with paint or pen or charcoal mm. but it's not sculpture either I could make that 3d effect but it was it was really interesting sort of how much I was like wow I really like this can we do it again and then so we did do it again and then I shot different things um because this was <laughs> this is a long time ago before digital <laughs> um so um it was uh yeah it was a long time ago it was back in like 97 98 um and so oh god that's probably when you were born or something embarrassing now <laughs> no, it, was, it was 95 actually but <laughs> oh okay great brilliant okay, sorry <laughs> <that makes sense. laughs> don't apologize enjoy your youth uh, but it's funny like this is the thing is that you know it has advanced very quickly, but I was kind of learning on this old metal body SLR thing. And then I just really sort of took to it. So I was exploring it more and more. And then it came to the point of kind of choosing what you wanted to do to progress after school. And I sort of didn't see, I was like, why am I going to do A-levels? Like, well, you know, I hate being here. I want to leave. Um, so I went to college and um, before I, I'd applied, I'd, bought, I'd, I'd sort of built this portfolio up of images and I got accepted into college to do photography for two years before, like, you know, just based on my portfolio that I'd been building. Wow. So that gave me my next step to leave that kind of structured education in that sense and go into college. And so I did that um, for a couple of years. And then I came out of it and realized that it's very difficult to get a job in photography. Um, and being on the other side of that now, I realise why. Um, it's very personal. Um, so I tried having, you know, I did have businesses where I had uh, two premises, six staff, sort of three in each. And, you know, it was very difficult because what I found started to happen 
is that people would want to book in with me. So because they had met me in a networking situation or whatever it was, and they then didn't want to be handed to my members of staff because it was like, if I'd met them, I'd built a connection with them. Yeah, if I then said, oh, so-and-so is going to be doing your shoot today, they were like, oh, I thought it would be you because I met you and hmm. you know, it's your name. And the, so that kind of caused me a little bit of an issue because I realized I was just it's trying to expand this business and grow it sort of backfired because it was so personal. And it's not to say that I was a better photographer than my staff. It's not that at all. Hmm. It's that personal connection that when we have our picture taken we kind of feel like we want to trust the person we we, we want the, the connection with them we want to trust them that this is the person that's going to bring the best out in us and that could be anything you know it's not just photography you know that if someone makes you feel comfortable you think i'm going to get a better result here because they make me feel like i'm going to be able to do my best and um, so i sort of i did all that i moved to new zealand like we said and did that in my early 20s and shot sort of a mixture of everything. Um, it was a real baptism of fire, but a great experience. But yet then I realized that it was people that I wanted to photograph the most. That was the thing that really sort of, you know, was where my passion was. Um, yeah, came back, set up the two businesses, got big and sort of like, you know, had these two premises and run this high street business. And then now scaled all the way back down again and I don't employ anyone and I love it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, work, so it's kind of, I work yeah, with anybody now. Yeah. Exactly. It's kind of I but I needed to go through that to sort of think I thought, right, okay, we'll set up a business, we'll open one here, we'll open one there, we'll do this. And I'm like, I got this all wrong. It's completely personal and it comes down to the individual. I'm just gonna work by myself. And you know, it, it kind of just evolved itself that way. People moved away um, to, you know, study somewhere. And I ended up just not replacing them and realising, actually, I think the business is doing better without me having other people here. And so, yeah, it's one of those weird things that it's just experience. And, yeah, you, you try different things and some work out and some don't. But, yeah, it's, it's nice now because I've, I do everything myself. I know everybody. And my role also changed from being a photographer to managing people managing staff and I hated it so I was like why am I doing this I just want to take pictures and know my clients again so yeah I just went literally from growing a business all the way back down again and um yeah never really been happier about it so it's good I know that's pretty good I think it, it helps because you are the leader of your own company you, know, you have the vision of where you want to go where you want to be and if you have other people there it kind of it, it clouds it you know because you've got so many ideas so many different opinions in the room and ultimately, at the end of the day, you know what's best for you. And of course, your thing is to to photograph your clients or photograph, you know, an, another another thing, and actually putting your own unique stamp on it as well. Um, and I suppose that, that does bring me on to something I wanted to talk about today, really, which was um, I think as artists, you know, photographers, actors, performers, creative people, we all are encouraged to put our unique stamp on our own work and on the world, etc. Um, and for actors, I think it's just to believe in yourself and don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Don't try and copy like Anthony Hopkins or don't try and copy Michael Sheen or anything like that. You know, be your own kind of great. And so in terms of photography, um, how, how do you say well, what, what kind of what unique stamp do you want to put on the world? What, what do you want people to say when they see a picture and say, God, that is so Hannah Cousins. Right. What what unique stamp do you want to put? in photography 
It's interesting because I feel like it. Someone once said to me, "No one is ever going to be as good as you at being you." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, that's." That's true. Great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So like you say about taking influence from other people, the, of course we will all take influence, whether that's consciously or subconsciously, there'll be things that affect us and you know, things we take interest in. But ultimately, you know, cause I got started very, very young as well. You know, I opened my first studio when I was 22. I sort of probably felt like, you know, cause people would turn up and they'd be like, Oh, hi, can I speak to the owner of the business? I'm like, me and they'd be like who's the kid you know like so in a way I feel like maybe I possibly felt like I had a bit more to prove being a bit younger Mm. um to earn people's trust and you know to figure that out so maybe I was a bit more conscious of how I came across and I had to be very professional and all of this and as time went on I realized the more relaxed I was the more relaxed my clients were now that said that doesn't mean that I'm not professional there's a there's a a difference but if you are expecting somebody to relax and be themselves in front of your camera, how are they going to do that if you aren't being yourself? It's so disingenuous. It's like, that's, that's not how this is going to work. So really, I think somebody described me once as being able to disarm people, whatever that may be. So if it's somebody that is very stressed when they walk through the door and uptight and doesn't want to have, it, have their picture done, et cetera, Listen, you have a habit of being able to disarm whoever walks in the room and get them where you need them to be. How I do that is not something that I can teach because I can't even tell you. I'm just being myself. Yeah. Um, but what I like about it is that it, it must be something I have, I guess, because other people tell me that I seem to, the way that it seems to work for me is that I can see that I get the result that I want. And that might take me a little bit of time, but my the thing that I want to do the most is make sure I have as a portrait photographer I want to make sure I've done the most accurate job of capturing that person regardless of who they are regardless of what they do have I done my job as a portrait photographer to take an accurate representation and portrait of that person and that comes down to trust and that comes down to connection and making someone feel comfortable and getting in that environment when it comes to other things I mean yeah I mean I, I do love I love lighting and you know I think that you know over time probably I've photographed so many people that I kind of don't want to use like a, a stamp like a, 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 a blueprint for everybody I don't feel like that works it comes down to again finding what suits that person and what makes that you know what's going to suit that person and what's best for that individual rather than just coming in like and having a same setup that you set everybody down and bosh, 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 all of your headshots would look the same. If I was photographing an academy and you all sat in the same place, what's the point? Because then what will happen is you'll have all of your, you know, you send them off for castings, et cetera, you know, various things. And they all look, half of you have got exactly the same photo. It's just the face changed. I mean, that doesn't really help. I mean, I know you want to be a blank canvas, but is it the role that you're going for? Does it accurately represent how you want to come across? If, if you're going for you know, completely different roles, but yeah, I've made somebody who wanted to go for more of a comedic role, the same as someone who wants to play a villain and they just look the exact same. Like it's not really going to help. So I much prefer to photograph the individual based and like them and somebody just being able to recognize my work through the connection really, I guess, and the expression. 
a lot of my portraits you'll probably notice don't have people smiling yeah because a, sm a very obvious expression a smile is a very obvious expression um to get a real smile is, is very hard as well that's another one but what i find even harder is mm. to get the bit in between and actors are very good at it because you know how to portray something um so if i said to you let's go through something like a look a bit more like this you would get it mm. but the members, members of the public and you know most you know most people on the street don't know how to do that but it's a case of working with them to get that expression and I always try to do it because it's more difficult and I like the challenge <laughs> <laughs> and that's good um I suppose because um you worked with that uh, you have you shot Nicholas Otamendi who's a football player for Manchester City didn't you yeah I did yeah I mean for somebody who's not well you could say performs on the pitch but is not as a performer as such um someone who just kicks a football around for a living what was it what's it like working with sports people compared to actors it is, it's interesting because like you say, they don't have, um, they don't have the same skills. I mean, whilst they are used to being in front of the camera to some degree because of the sponsorship and things that they need to do, it's not for, it's, it's not like second nature to them at all. It's, um, it is more difficult for them. And the funny thing is, is when I photographed him, um, I had literally five minutes with him and you know, they were chasing me around like you know you had somebody shouting out three minutes 30 seconds you know and you're like okay but that was yeah and suddenly it's my job to I've literally just met this guy he's in front of people all the time I still want to do me I still want to make sure I get my look for him um so it was great. I mean, it was great. He was very receptive. He's a lovely, lovely man. He was so nice, so polite. They're not all like that. However, what it is, is a case of matching. I always feel like it's a case of matching their energy and whatever that is. So whatever they're going to give you, and it's lots of, um, uh, so funnily enough, I, I was photographing a guy, um, very senior corporate individual the other day. And I said to him, I said, do you, have you played sports? Do you play sports? And he's like, oh yeah, I have done. I used to play rugby. And I could tell in the way that he stood and held himself mm. that he had been a sportsman. You can just recognize the body language and how they stand and what they do. Now sports people, competitive, want to get the job done, want to know what they have to do. So your language and your direction probably has to change to be very like, okay, like this, like that. Okay, you're perfect, head round to me. This is what we're going for. Give them what you're going for. Tell them how we're going to get there. Be clear, concise, and to the point. It's like, oh, would it be okay if maybe you could try this or try that? They're not going to respond the same way. Hmm. I mean, it obviously does depend on the individual, but when it comes to sports people, and same with, um, with senior corporates, they, they want clear, concise instruction and to get to the point. So I find that I end up talking to them and directing them in a way that I feel or I believe they would be used to receiving information and sure enough most of the time it works out sometimes you get someone that's a little bit quieter etc but not really I mean when you've got five minutes you've got to figure it out quite quickly if they're not responding to what you want them to do then you need to change it up a little bit and figure out what is their energy and what are they responding to mm. but yeah that's kind of my my trick is to try to try to read people very fast <laughs> <laughs> I remember a story you told me about um, because um, again, if you go on your website, the, the main image that greets you is that of the great Vinnie Jones, who you had the pleasure of, of <laughs> seeing as well. Uh, I remember you told me a story when we were doing our session where 
I, th- I think it was him you were talking about. Yeah, I think you said it was just an actor. Although, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you said you were shoot, you were in a session with an actor, and halfway through the session, he said, "Hannah, do you mind if I shout for the throughout this the next next few next few minutes so you can c- proper capture anger on my face?" Oh was yeah, that was that was somebody else. But yeah, that was, was um, that, yeah, that was Tiger Drew Honey. But but yeah, he he was great in that sense. He he did the same thing. He said, "I, I want to get across a particular feeling," yeah. and I was like, "Go nuts." go for it I was like yeah if you feel comfortable that you can do that like yeah great I was like that's only going to make our shots better and the fact that he wanted to do that for his own how he wanted to come across I'm like this is it's teamwork it's him and me it's both of us so yeah it was it was great it was um yeah no that that was really cool he he did he did go for that and then we had all sorts of different pictures for him but he was used to being seen as this teenager on the BBC and in all of these kind of like that particular role and yeah. obviously wanted to make it more aggressive and go for you know have some different kind of shots and more expressive and yeah you know, so I'm like yeah go for it of course that's my my job is to capture what you want so yeah let's do it let's go for it great fun really good yeah I mean was Vinnie Jones the same or was he a bit more kind of reserved no, he's he's a guy that gets the job done. Again, he's he's very much alpha male, um, which works because I'm tend to be out, well, I'm alpha female. So again, it's very much straight in telling what you know is needed to be done. He knows his job. He knows what he needs to do. Um, but if there's anything, you know, the way that I had had set up, I just sort of had to explain to him, right. For these particular shots, we can go both sides, but we need your head straight on. Otherwise, we're going to get strange shadows. Once he's got that information, he just bashed it out, no problem at all. And we had a very specific job to do. We had a lot of them. We were shooting for two different brands on the same day. Um, But right at the end, he was super nice because I kept finding myself. He's got such an interesting face. As a portrait photographer, I kept finding myself wanting to shoot close up. And... um, what they had asked for is full length shots so we were doing those and I remind I, I said to the uh, uh the director that was there I said to them I was like these are full length right just to check to remind myself and he was like yeah full length I was like okay fine I said sorry I just every part of me is wants to go in closer yeah. and we were getting towards the end and um he was kind of like he said to his business partner he's like oh, we got it yeah have we got what we need because all the images were coming up I was tethered and all the images were coming up and yeah. I was thinking, oh, bloody hell, he's getting annoyed with this. Um, and uh, they were like, yeah, yeah, we've got it, we've got it. And I was thinking, okay, good, right, right. They're, they're happy with what they've got, so he can go. And he, he turned around, he's finished, and he went, right, okay, Hannah, this is your time, shoot what you want. I was like, you serious? Wow. Like, really? And he was like, yeah. He said, you just said that you want to shoot more close up. He said, this is your time, do what you want. I was like, how generous wow. is that? Like, yeah, this guy probably, I was thinking he was like really getting annoyed and wanted to, the session to finish and wanted to get out and everything else. Yeah. No, he just wanted to know whether we needed to keep doing any more for that or whether I could do what I wanted. Um, and it was lovely because the image that you see on my site, and that is one that I took after. I wasn't shooting for the brand. That was me shooting for myself. But it ended up that the brand used that image anyway. So that was really nice. It was lovely how it worked out. But I was amazed at his generosity. Um, it was it was very very nice. I've only everyone has different experiences, but I have only ever found him to be completely lovely and charming and fun and respectful and um, 
somebody that you can have a laugh with, which, you know, again, I don't know how much of that comes down to how I worked with him or how he is as an individual. You know, you just, you never know. But I photographed him a couple of times and both times he's just been, he's been great. So I've been very lucky and very fortunate. Amazing. I mean, mean, it's, it's so weird to hear about Vinnie Jones because you see him in the press and he's, he, he comes across as this kind of really kind of, because he, he was a footballer as well. And as you were talking about earlier, he was oh, yeah. used to the rules and everything. And he was, you know, like, tell me to do this, tell me to do this and I'll do it. You know, very, very specific guy. Um, and it's just so weird to sort of see him just go, just be really chilled about it and then just go, okay, this is, all right, you know, Han, do you want to do, do you want an extra five minutes, an extra 10 minutes? And be like, oh, yes, please. Yeah, all right. I'm here and it's just blew my mind and he was great like he was helping me change background roles he was holding his own reflections like people said to me afterwards they were like you made him hold his own reflector I'm like yeah why not he's got six foot four he can hold it you know so he he had no he would say no like if he didn't want to do it but I we'd spent that much time together that I felt like it was okay for me to ask him to do that he would have said no if not or you know but one thing I don't do is that I don't change who I am and how I speak to people depending on who they are. Yeah. I'm the same whether it's somebody rich and famous or whether it's someone that is just I've never seen before that lives next door. I'm the same because I don't believe in treating people any differently. And I think that works well when you do photograph you know, people that are very well known because I think probably they are used to being have people sucking up to them or having people kind of treat them differently. I think ultimately everybody, regardless of who they are, what they've done, what they haven't done, wants to be treated as an individual with respect and just get the job done. So I don't think that, I think that may help because none of that, you know, it's not in my approach to sort of be kind of like, oh, and you know, oh, this is really, I wasn't, I wasn't overwhelmed. I just don't get overwhelmed by things, I guess. Mm-hmm. I just see people as individuals and respect them as much as each other. Yeah, that's, that's it. Um, I remember, this is a quick story. I mean, I met Kit Harrington after, after a show once and he was signing uh, autographs and stuff down the, uh, down the line by the stage door. And he, everyone kept, it was mostly tourists kept coming up to him, like with Game of Thrones memorabilia and just, <laughs> they were just like, sign this, sign this, sign this. And not really like, hey Kit, how are you doing? Great show. So they were just like, can you sign this? Can you sign this? Can you sign this? And he was getting down to me and I could see in his eyes, he was just like, okay, right, more people to go. So he said, can I sign your ticket, mate? And he signed my thing. And I just said to him, Kit, you, you did a wonderful job in there. You should be really proud of yourself. And he just stopped and he, he, and he looked at me and he just went, seriously, mate, thank you very much for that. That means, that means so much to me. And I said, so and, I like, and I was like, oh, mate, I'm just being honest. And you know, John, you know, John Snow is an incredible achievement. You should be really proud of yourself. And he went, yeah, I miss him. I miss him. <laughs> I, I, bet. Like, I bet. I think we all do, really. But, <laughs> so. but yeah, yeah no, I mean, that's the thing. I think sometimes it is kind of like, that's right. I mean, he's just a, a person doing a job. And um, whilst he's very good at it, because he wouldn't be where he was without it, mm. um, it's still to have somebody to have a conversation with you and see you as a human being rather than just somebody, a robot, to sign this, sign this, sign this, sign this. Yeah. You know, I think probably, yeah, you probably took him off guard as well. He probably wasn't expecting that at all. So that's nice. That's really nice. No, no, that's good because, you know, you you talk to people who have made it in the industry and, you know, who've who've had their struggles and who've had people just say to them, oh, you're you're never going to make it. I mean, what's the point of even trying? You know, and but they've just had the point of saying to themselves, you know, 
no, this is what I want to do. And let's just keep going with this. And also at the end of the day, yes, they do have status. Yes, it is Kit Harrington. Yes, it is Taylor Swift. Yes, it is Ian McKellen and stuff like that. But, you know, I was lucky enough to actually meet Ian McKellen a couple of years ago. And you see him in the press and you think he's this kind of, you know, as you said, like a robot to sign autographs and take pictures. And, you know, there's a lot of people who would follow him as well. But like, he's probably, he probably gets called Gandalf in the street probably about 10 times a day or something like that. Right. Uh, and I, I just went up to him and I just, and I said, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I love your work. And um, what sort of things are you up to at the moment? And he just sort of, again, just paused for a second. He went, well, um, well, you know, I've always got a, a full schedule at the moment. It was, it was something that I can't remember exactly. So he was like, I've got a full schedule at the moment. You know, I'm doing two shows tomorrow. It's, it's hectic. And I said, well, seriously, you did an incredible job in there. And it's, it's a genuine pleasure to meet you. And you could see just a little smile on his face. And I just thought, I thought he hasn't, That's so nice. I thought he, he hasn't probably had that said to him before. He's probably had a lot of people just, I mean, there were other people in the room who were scared of saying stuff to him as well. They were just standing there just like, Oh my God, it's Ian McKellen. Oh my God, it's Ian McKellen. And you don't could, say anything, don't cock it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you could see him just sort of sitting there going, oh God, can somebody just please say something? This is really, stop, you know, because, you know, he needs, he has that attention on him all the time. And he has that. Right. And I just, and then, and then I, again, I just said to him, oh, your, your mate Derek Jacoby's in the audience tonight. And he was like, oh, that guy. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> you should bring him up on stage to do a little duet act or something like that. He was like, no, 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 no. He's, he's audience tonight. He doesn't, yeah, this is my show. Sort of That's great. But then, you know, look, he, you remember that conversation. Maybe he did too. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's hard to just treat people as, because yeah, they ultimately, regardless of whatever status yeah, they are or fame or whatever it is, they are just people at the end of the day. So they just want to have a conversation, like a, a, a normal person having a normal conversation. That's it. You know, they're not, they're not, you know, they might be rendered gods in the press, but they're just like you and I, they're just people. Of course they are. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They use the loo, they go to a bar, they have a right. show in the morning, they eat food when they wake up, they have a coffee. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's very simple. That's it. Um, yeah. yeah, so just getting back to photography now, I don't know where we go on to that, but uh, I suppose, I mean, in the bio you said you have a real fascination for light, an obsession for light as well, and of course light yeah. is at the heart of every picture on the planet, if the heart wasn't, if light wasn't there, it'd just be total darkness the whole time, you just think, you've just given me a, a blank photo, just a black image or something like that, so <laughs> this is a really silly question, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway. How important is light and where does this obsession of yours of, of light come from? That's not a silly question at all, because it, you know, exactly what you have said is that light is fundamental to any photograph or any image or any feeling that we get too. You know, we know what it feels like if we're sitting there and the sun's going down, we've got this warm golden light on us. Naturally, we relax. It's mm. weird. You know, whereas if you wake up and it's grey and it's cold and there's all these cold tones out there, we automatically think, oh, today's going to be a struggle. Like, it's weird how colour temperature and lights and things like that can really affect us. That said, you know, I even designed my house with light you know, in, in mind and how we've lit it as two photographers for you and an architect. But it's, it's true because I, I respond very um, positively to daylight. I don't do very well over the winter, over the winter months. And so, you know, when we were having work done, we designed our house to have a huge skylight, um, which is just ahead of me. 
Uh, it's two by three meters. It's giant. It's basically there's there's more there's more glass than there is you know solid roof as it were. <laughs> but we are the sort of people that respond very well to that, and yeah, you know, we know that about ourselves, and we we like that feeling of of having a lot of light around. Now, when it comes to an image, it's it is really important because. We call it, I mean, ProPhoto specifically called the, all the modifiers that we use on the front of our uh, flashes are called light shapers. Mm -hmm. And um, that is such a good name for them because it is your ability, and that's what photography is, to paint with light. And that is what happens is that by, by using these different modifiers, by adding light here, adding light there, shaping it, carving out, that's, my, that's what I can't do with a pen and paper, but I can do with light. So it's it's just my version of they're my tools of how I use that to create if I if I wanted to create a three D drawing if you wanted to create depth if you wanted to draw attention to a certain area did you want to push something into shadow what are you trying to say what what feeling are you trying to create and that all happens with light um, so I mean it, it's very popular I know for actor headshots to have very very bright well lit you know photographs which is important because people need mm. to see you. Yeah. the individual and see the canvas as it were um but also it's fun sometimes to add a bit of shadow in there because you know sometimes that might give that sense of mystery it might it might be a bit more intriguing it might not be as obvious it might just add a little bit more dimension and, and depth to an image which makes it more arresting than perhaps one that's just very evenly lit i mean they all have their purposes of course they do this is not not to uh, say that well or evenly lit images are bad because it's absolutely not you know you can make some beautiful images like that it just comes down to what suits the individual what are you trying to say and therefore light is your tool to be able to convey that mm. that's fascinating because you know you, you because you work in in two different environments you have the studio where you can you can increase the light or you can decrease it so it can be lighter or it can be darker but when you're when you're outside working with nature because i've seen some of your model shots are actually in meadows or in fields or, mm -hmm. or on a football pitch you know um and you're very reliant on the big man upstairs to actually give you the proper light for that moment so is it so when you do shots like that is it more of a case of um, I suppose this, this is a question I wanted to talk about today in terms of the challenges of, of photography and specifically shooting outside. Um, so what, so is it more a case of we need like, like the early mornings or getting up to, to grasp that specific moment in a way, like the, like the challenges of saying like, we need to do this now, we haven't got a lot of time, we need to go out, we need to do this pretty much right now. I mean, that's one challenge I want to talk about is the case of like we've only got 10 minutes of this light we need to make the most of this now does it does that make sense yeah no totally and the funny thing is with that is that um you you will hear some people say that you could only shoot at certain times of day or it's better to shoot in the morning and in the evening and that's it mm -hmm. but real world is that that can't happen you know because you can't expect your clients to be available exactly at the time when the perfect light is so i actually use artificial light i take light with me when i'm shooting outdoors and i combine it mm. um but hopefully you can't tell so the way that in which i use it is that it shouldn't look like it's artificial light yeah. so what i tend to do is i work with what i'm given now of course if i was to go 
outside in the midday sun on a very sunny day and turn you in one direction. The light patterns on your face, the, the, the cast that you're gonna get overhead, the hard shadows because the light's so far away, or the sun's so far away. And um, all of these things make for not very necessarily flattering images. To turn you the other way so that your back is towards the sun um, and then to add a little bit of fill light into your face works perfectly. So it doesn't mean you can't, doesn't mean, or what you can do is you can still face that direction. If, you, if you've got the sun coming from one direction and it's casting shadows on your face, if you add flash in there too to lighten the shadows, yeah. suddenly it doesn't look bad. It's just that it, it, it just changes the, it, it doesn't look so, you add in the fill in, it's, you still keep working with the main light, which is the sun, um, but you're working with it and you're trying to make the better result and to get to a result where it works for everybody. Um, so really, yes, whilst, whilst golden hour and things like that, yeah, I mean, if you shoot at sunset, it changes every few seconds. Like, it honestly, it's one of the most difficult things to shoot because it is time sensitive, like you wouldn't believe. Your, your exposure is changing sort of every 30 seconds or every five seconds in some cases, um, depending on whether there's, there's clouds out or not. You've got to work fast. You've got to be on the ball. You've got to... You know, both you and your client have to understand that there isn't time necessarily to stop and have a chat. And sometimes I'll say to them, look, the next 10 minutes is going to be stressful. Mm. But so I might be quite direct in my, uh, in my direction. Um, you know, what I say to you, like, turn this way, move your head down, do this, do that. It won't be, oh, um, could you move your head down or could you move that? So I'll be a bit more clear. But at the end of it, it, we will get some really good results. And they're kind of like, okay, cool, right. Yeah. See, look what happened just there. I don't even know if you saw the, the exposure change of the sun go in. Like yep. suddenly the whole room, me, everything looks completely different because the cloud's gone. Now that would change my exposure massively. So then I've got to be able to work with that and deal with that. And in a second, it might come out again. So working outside presents its own set of challenges, of course, because you can't... <laughs> That's something I can't control whether the cloud's going to you know, come over or not. But inevitably, it will come out the second you set up for your shot, about to take it, and then the sun comes out or whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just more of a challenge, put it that way. It keeps you on your toes a little bit more because here, come, here it comes again. You're going right. to, it will probably change. change again. Yeah. It will just, it, now the sun's out again. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, obviously, the camera's trying to expose differently based on what's happening, but the light under my eyes now will be completely different because it's bouncing off of this white surface back into my face. Whereas when it went in, you'd see more shadows under my eyes. You would see more shadows under my chin. The texture of my skin will come out a bit more. It's weird. It's weird. Lots of things happen. So it's just a case of keeping an eye on it all the time and working with it to create, either with working it with artificial light or using the natural light in such a way that you get the result that you want. Mm. Yeah, I think this is um this section here. If anyone who's watching on YouTube right now, this is a lovely section to actually see the light change. Because if you if you watched really closely, you could see the change there when you what you were just talking about. So that's lovely. So if you're watching on if you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, whatever, if you follow the link to my YouTube page and see this section or however long we're into the show, this that's a lovely, it was such a lovely moment, actually. It was like your work was was happening for you just behind your back and it was like photography had like this new kind of spiritual connection to some people as well um it's almost like something above us is just going okay so this is how it works look boom 
Yeah, and also how I like to think of it is that it's also means that you're not in control, and I quite like that. I yeah. quite like that in life. Yeah. It's, it's you know you you try to work with what you can, but ultimately you have to deal with what you're given. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I remember there was I saw a play um, called Seawall, which had Andrew Scott in it at the Old Vic, and it was a wonderful play. If anyone, if you get the chance to see it, honestly, just go. It's just phenomenal. Um, there's a there's a really lovely moment where he describes where the character describes actually photography and I, I sat in the theatre and immediately I thought of our session and he said he said to me when you take I think I want to get this right the character says when you take because um, the character is actually a photographer himself he says when you take a, a portrait photo you take it from below the subject it doesn't render them more godlike it renders them more human in a way and that's the line and then ultimately Am I right in thinking that if that is the case, if you have used a portrait photo, just taking it from slightly below to capture more of their human essence, is that part of um, a session in some way? It's like, are you trying to capture the human or more specifically the soul of the person when you, when you do those sort of sessions? Well, what's interesting about that is that your eye line and where you shoot from does make a huge difference because it can either create a feeling of dominance or subservience. If you shoot down on somebody and they're a bit they're looking up at you, kind of like you know, a bit that would suggest with you know subconsciously some kind of subservient attitude. Mm. If you were to shoot up at somebody, that gives off a feeling of dominance. So because they're looking down at you. Now the funny thing is with that about what was said in the play is that that comes down to everybody's different interpretation of life now if you're short like me most people end up looking down at you I know that feeling I know the feeling <laughs> there you go because I'm five foot four most people are taller than me oh, so any, therefore anyone's tall compared to me Hannah honestly <laughs> this is it. So, so this is the thing so you are used to people looking more down at you if you're a tall person you're used to the other the opposite so I don't I don't firmly believe I mean I was told some kind of rubbish when I was started um you know uh, some uh, yeah this is back in when I was doing my work experience and this dinosaur photographer said to me he was like oh when you photograph women you have to photograph them from above so that they 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 look a little subservient so when you photograph men you should shoot up at them because they're dominant well, you can imagine how that went down with me. I was like, bullshit. <laughs> but, you know, it was just, I was like, well, it doesn't really matter what gender they are. I mean, it matters on what you're trying to say about the person. It doesn't come down to gender. That's just ridiculous. But I was like, okay, all right, mate, good. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, which is quite funny. But I think in his backward messaging, I think in his maybe archaic ways, I think the point he was trying to make is that you can make somebody look very dominant. Now, next time, if you watch any kind of sports and you see anything like that, um, any business shows on TV, any sports things, I mean, Euros are on right now, if people watch football, watch the pictures come up on the screen. They will be taken below the eye line because the whole life, and they will probably be in aggressive poses and looking down at you, exactly. Because that's the thing, that's the way that they are trying to portray the athletes is that they are dominant and that they're going to win. So that kind of shooting up at somebody does display um, an air of dominance. Uh, so I don't, I just want to make sure, I don't have a rule. I just want to make sure that the messaging is correct. If I'm trying to make somebody look dominant, of course, I'm going to shoot up at them. 
if I am trying to get them to open their eyes more, maybe they've got smaller eyes and they need it to, you know, I'm not going to make them look subservient. So that isn't, you wouldn't do it in a, to that extreme, but the eye line of where you shoot from is debatable. Um, and it, it, because some people say you should always shoot slightly underneath, slightly above. Yeah, everyone's got different opinions on that. Yeah. I just think you should do what suits the person and also whatever you're trying to convey. So whatever message it is that you're trying to convey. So there was, there's probably something in what he was saying or trying to say, because it does make a big difference. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that, that, the playwright was Simon Stevens. So I don't know if he's ever dabbled with photography, but it sounds like maybe that was just a little nice little throw in of character development or something like that to say, oh, Alex is the character's Alex. It, Alex is a photographer. He knows his technical terms, take it from below the subject. It's like, right, uh, yeah. Now it's like, he doesn't really know anything about photography. He's making, trying to make something look really domineering and really kind of imposing yeah. in the room and stuff like that. Well, maybe that was his thing at the time, but you know. It's a character, but I don't think Simon Stevens was, I don't, I don't think he's top of the photography tree. In terms of, <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask a question today about, because um, I hear this battered around a lot when like more with films, but I suppose with photography as well. Um, and when, it, when they talk about frames per second, like they say like 24, 48 frames per second in a way, is that, is that something that was, what is that all about when you talk about frames per second? So this is all to do with um, video. So this is all to do with, uh, yeah, when you're shooting film and shooting video, et cetera. Um, something that, you know, really isn't my department. Um, that's all down okay. to my partner who sort of deals with that. But basically what it's to do with in a nutshell is how quickly or not images are being captured. And therefore, the like, yeah, if some if a movement is to look jerky, if it's in a fast shutter speed, and frames the frames that you're going to see per second, they're going to be a bit faster moving. Whereas if you slow it down, it feels more fluid. It feels more that the flow of how it looks feels a bit more cinematic, a little bit natural. I think, um, you know, don't quote me on that because, like I say, if film is not my bag, um, <laughs> and uh, definitely somebody else's. But I know that the frames per second is to do with how jerky or smooth the image ends up looking, which way round and how it all works. It's not my department, okay. <laughs> and I'm not going to pretend that it is. Well, now we know. Now we know. I thought that was a photography thing where it turns us video thing. <laughs> um, well, if you're at frames per second, is basically your shutter speed is, yeah, of course, how quickly the image is captured and whether there's blur in it or not. But yeah, but that usually comes down to film. Mm, that's cool. Um, before today, I, I looked into sort of like the like various quotes about photography and stuff like that, you know, like inspirational stuff, because you hear about like film as like capturing the soul or, you know, the theatre mm. essence of a human being or stuff like that, you know, really kind of stuff like that. Uh, but I've, I've read, I found something from sort of from Henry Cart Cartier-Bresson. I don't know if that rings a bell uh, to you at all, but he said your first 10,000 pictures are your worst. Yeah. Yeah, as uh, a few of us, uh, like uh, I know some people, I know uh, a camera store that have that printed huge on their on their wall in their store, and uh, it's true, it, it, it's true. And I always start a session by feeling like the the first. It would have been what we used to do when it was film is we would have not loaded film into the camera, but not told the client for the first twenty shots at least. Um, because it takes a while to get warmed up to, you know, kind of like get into it and get your clients relaxed and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, initially you might get lucky. It might get lucky that some of the first ones you take turn out to be great. But 
sometimes my favorite exercise is to compare my first shot that I took with the last shot that I took and suddenly you've got a completely different person and so naturally things are going to warm up we all take a little bit of time to warm up and yeah a quote like that is so true it's like always the way you always look back and you think yeah but that's a creative person anyway you look back on what you've done in the past and you think yeah yeah, yeah. Like, but that's a sign of progression and that's kind of how it is but yeah it's a good quote I like that one yeah that's a good one yeah I, I did find some I found a few actually um photograph it. yeah we, I suppose we touched on this already I think Ted Grant said when you photograph people in color you photograph their clothes but when you photograph people in black and white you photograph their souls yeah heard that one as well that's interesting because a lot of my work is color mm. um and uh, but when I I, I I I get what they're saying I do get what they're saying but when I look at my work there isn't any colour in it. <laughs> so I always shoot on very neutral backgrounds with very neutral clothing because I want it to be about the person. But yet at the same time, there are features about somebody, you know, they're kind of their eye colour, their skin tone, things like that. There's things that does make up the person's soul and who they are and, you know, kind of how things come across. And it's a real portrait of them. Um, my colours are different um, and I work, I'm very obsessive with colour. Um, but yeah, I mean, it depends on the image. It, it, to me, it comes down to the image. Some images do seem to suit black and white more than others. Um, I, I get the quote, I get what's being said, but for me, uh, as the years have gone on, I, and I, I do black and white conversions and I look at them and I just think, you know what, I still prefer the color. It's weird, but I think that's because I treat my color to not be, to be slightly desaturated. I treat it in such a way that it isn't, it doesn't look like we're used to seeing photos on our phones or whatever or day-to-day -day in real life it's it's I treat it in such a way to give it a different feel in the first place but I still want an element of color there because again for me that makes up who the person who the person is but yeah there's a lot to be said for black and white photography too it's um it is very timeless and uh yeah it's it's great it has its own its own look and its own feel for sure definitely um, just, I suppose just two more things uh, to ask, ask you today before I probably sort of round up here today. This has been a lot of fun and um, I'm very aware that you've got some time constraints. You've got a sofa being delivered today and stuff like that. <laughs> no <laughs> um, worries. You know, to look after. And of course, oh, and I don't know if you've mentioned this already on the show, but Hannah is expecting she's going to have her first child this year. So she's going to be a um, mum. Yeah, that's going to be a shock. <laughs> yeah. It, it, child. Yeah, did you know the gender? Is it a boy or a girl? It's a boy. It's a boy. God help me. <laughs> no, it'll be great. It'll be good fun. Okay. Have you decided on a name yet? No, this is a disaster. I mean, yeah, we were going to go down, you know, my partner's Norwegian, and we were going to go down the Norwegian route, but based on the fact that we're living in England and no one can even pronounce his name, We'll, we'll forget that one, I'd say. But uh, yeah, no, we're not doing, we're running out of time a little bit now as well because uh, we're on the countdown rather than the count up and we still haven't decided on a name. So, jobs yeah. to do. Well, your, <laughs> we'll figure your, out. Yeah, but what's your partner's name, sorry? His name's Knute, but Can it's spelled K-N-U-T. Um, and like lots of people look at that and they're like, Coot, Nut, Kurt, like that. He, people can never ever get his name right. So it's just, it's really funny. So it's just a bit of a joke to us. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's good fun. It's good fun. We'll figure something out. I'm sure. I'm sure you'll be great parents. I'm sure it's going to be a a real <laughs> be, a, be a new challenge for you guys, but a, but a good one. Yeah. 
a great challenge. Yeah, exactly. That's what we thought. We're like, well, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So yeah, just two more things um, while we're here. Just, just one more quote and one final question, if I may. Um, this is from someone called Diane Arbus. I don't know if, does that ring a bell? That doesn't actually, no, but I'm more of a person. I sound like I know these people. I literally just Googled inspirational photography. Yeah. This is what came up. So uh, she says, um, a photograph is a secret about a secret. The more it tells you, the less you know. Oh, that's deep. Yeah. <laughs> Anything on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of deep. I mean, I, I guess her kind of messaging there is that it's very interesting with photography of how we can portray somebody and you know I'm all about the authenticity and making that be correct for that person however you have other aspects of photography where you can create a totally different feeling from something yeah. or you can make something feel because there are no words of course you're just looking at an image it's up for your own interpretation as to what's going on there and the point is is that when you were there and it was happening none of us will ever really know none of us will know what was happening in that moment and with that person and what was going on etc so I think that's probably what she's getting to is that you know, you think you know what's going on, but maybe you don't. It, it's, you know, it can be deceiving or sometimes our perception of what's happening isn't exactly what was going on. That's that's my assumption anyway, based on that. No, 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 it's fascinating. No, it's good. You know, I thought I'd hit you with a quite a big one there towards the end. Yeah, go for it. I love it. <laughs> and final final question today. Um, so again, thank you so much for being on. This has been so interesting, interesting to hear about photography and everything. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so just finally, um, I was thinking about this yesterday and sometimes we can, as actors, as creatives, or anyone who is involved in the arts or something creative, sometimes we have those moments where we fall out of love. It's very temporary, but we fall out of love with what we do. It's like we get yep. so we so I'd be going to rehearsal one day and say, I'm not feeling it today. I can't I can't do this today. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Or you're you're in the car going to a shoot and thinking to yourself or about to give a speech and you're saying I there's no energy in my body today to do what you do to do this today. But ultimately we get through it. We realize we love this thing all along and we're back to loving ourselves and loving what we do again. But of course we are plighted with those moments where we feel feel like oh, I'm not sure if I can do this today. So so what advice would you give to power through those moments and to any aspiring photographers who are watching or listening to this today so pretty much um i totally get what you're saying i think we all as you said we all experience that in some way shape or form and yeah. um, i definitely have that at times where um how can i put it perhaps you won't be in the mood or you'll be tired or you know kind of something you've just received a phone call and something's happened or whatever i don't what what tends to happen is I have to be able to snap out of that because when my client walks through the door, it's not their fault and they don't know that that's just happened. I could choose to tell them if I really wanted to, but it's not their fault that that's just happened. It's just something where I have to give all my time, energy and effort and attention to my client. And weirdly, sometimes when you do that, it's like that faking it until you make it. It's like that you, if you fake it, sometimes you, I'm not, and I don't want to say fake it, it's not wrong, but if you're like kind of trying to push it behind you and you're kind of like, no, I'm not in a bad mood. No, it's going to be okay, right? It's not this person's fault. Mm -hmm. You know, so of course you don't want to be like, hello, yep, yeah, yeah, come in. You're like, hi, how are you? How was your day? You know, 
And because you're in that energy, before you know it, you finish the shoot and you're like, oh, damn it, I'm out of that bad mood anyway, because now I was doing that for so long. I've almost convinced myself and brought myself out of that bad mood. Um, but I mean, where you have the choice to, I would say if you're, if you're in one of those moods where you're just not in the mood and you're not feeling it, if you have the choice to, don't, um, because then it's only going to end bad. But nine times out of 10, like you say, you're on your way to a speech, you're on your way to an audition, whatever it is. It's just difficult to move your mindset. Um, so what I would try to do is try to switch off and go somewhere else, mm. whether that's plugging in some music or whatever it is, and just kind of distracting myself a little bit for, you know, and just kind of like getting out of my head. Because the more I go over it, the more I sit there going, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. This is going to be rubbish. I don't want to do this. But I'm telling myself and, you know, reaffirming to myself that it's going to be bad. Um, sometimes if I can just be like, well, shut up, listen to this, get on with it. You know, like I try to do that where possible um, to distract myself. And um, it's okay to feel like that as well. I think that's the final thing that I would say is that we can't all be creative all of the time. And when we are not in our creative zones, we feel like failures. We feel like suddenly we're no good at what we're doing. We just don't feel it the way that we were before. and that can make you feel like you're no good at it. And of course, deep down, you probably know that you are because you wouldn't be here in the first place. Yeah. But that lack of energy and creativity, that happens to all of us. We're creative people. Uh, that just happens. So where possible, I would say, take a break. Go do something else, something completely different, nothing even remotely related to what it is that you do day to day. And sometimes it's just enough to refresh you, to come back and go, oh, yeah, that's right. You've got some more energy from somewhere else. Do something different, take a walk, you know, play some music, create some music, whatever it is, go make a cake. I don't care, whatever it is, you know, like it doesn't matter. Go, go do something, go see a friend, like go call, call your nan, whatever. Take, take your head somewhere away from where you were and no doubt it will let you reset. But just, I would say to people, just know that being part of your creativity is you take inspiration from things around you. So do more of that. And if you aren't feeling it and you're not getting those creative things and you, you know, it feels like it's never ending, it's just how it goes. It will pass. Exactly. Words of inspiration there. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. No, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that is a really lovely place to conclude on today. Um, yeah. So guys, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Uncensored Critic. Uh, you'll be able to download this podcast on all major platforms. It will be available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Type in and it will be there. Uh, please like and subscribe. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. And yeah, that was a really lovely place to end on. And just final thing to say is, Hannah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being so generous with it, uh, for being so open. And yeah, this has been this has been a lot of fun. Um, so just before we finish, I'll finish the recording and then we can I'll say goodbye to you in person just before we, before we end the Zoom call. And um, yeah, but what's final thing to say is again, just thank you so much. And yeah, this has been this has been a lot of fun. Very interesting. Very it's so good to learn about something I never thought I'd ever know about at all about photography. So yeah, so thank you for that. This has been a lot of fun. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. <laughs>